Today, we're going to deal with marriage, gender, and sexuality. And uh, I'm going to tread lightly here, just so, so everyone, uh, parents don't have to be too concerned yet. We'll tread very lightly. But we're going to look at marriage, gender, and sexuality. What is the world challenging us on, and how do we um, deal with some of that? So those basically are going to be our three areas, marriage, gender, and sexuality. I'm going to kind of turn your notes around a little bit on you because I'm going to change the order a little bit, but I think we'll be fine. I'll help you identify that. But um, let's look at knowing the challenge. Knowing the challenge. Let's start with marriage. Marriage, we're told by the world, is something that was created by mankind. It's a cultural thing, isn't that right? Where the world basically would say, the world would basically say that marriage is a man-made institution. They would not recognize. Now, again, we're talking about the world in general. Okay, I know within America here, most people would probably say, "Oh, marriage was created by God." But generally speaking, throughout the world, we have a tendency. The world has a tendency to think of marriage as being sort of a man-made institution, and we see that today with the concept of gay marriage and whatnot. Marriage is something you do simply because you're in love. Is another concept that we come across with the world that we. Um, get married because we fall in love, which means that if you fall in love with whoever you want, you can marry whoever you want. Another challenge from the world. Um, another interesting one, and this is something um, which is becoming more and more common among millennials. Marriage isn't really necessary for raising kids anymore. Do you know that a recent um, Today Show report had I don't know if this is standard of anything, to be real frank, but um, on the Today Show they had a report where they claimed that 37% of 18 to 24-year-olds believe that marriage is an obsolete institution. Now that's a quarter to half of all millennials that think that marriage is no longer necessary. It's obsolete. Okay, Where do you think that's going to probably be in the next 10 to 15 years? Things never go the other direction, do they? Which means that that number is bound... It's going to grow. A couple of years ago, I came across an author who wrote a book on trial, what they call trial marriages. And what she discovered in a lot of her research was that a fairly large portion of the American population believes that your first marriage is a trial marriage. And that you should pretty much expect that your first marriage is not going to last and that ultimately you should plan for that. Now, we know that that's a reality in the sense that divorce happens, clearly. But this idea that you should expect it, you should plan for it, and in fact, you should pretty much want it because that first marriage is where you experiment and you test and you try. And her, her research that she did, the basic understanding was that, well, that first marriage is all about love and romance. The second one is really about raising a family. And you can't have both. So there was a term coined, trial marriages. Another thing we see in our culture today regarding marriage is something that's really recent. What is the world telling us about same-sex couples? Should they be allowed to marry? Well, look at what our Supreme Court has said. Yeah, they need to have the same rights that everyone else does. I, my response to that is, I've got the right to marry somebody of the opposite sex. So do you. <laughs> We've all got the same rights. But no, um, the Supreme Court has argued that, or concluded that within our country here, one man ought to be able to marry another man, and one woman should be able to marry another woman. We don't know where that will go, but ultimately... That's the kind of things we're facing with marriage. Marriage is seen in a variety of ways in our culture and our society, and that's what we're being challenged on in the church today. Like I said, within evangelical Christianity, we've got churches now that are starting to say, well, we've gotten it wrong. Homosexuality is okay as long as they're in a committed relationship. Okay? Marriage should be permitted as long as they're committed to one another. What about gender? So that's marriage. What about, what about gender? 
What does gender refer to? Any of you kids want to help me out? What does gender refer to? I'd say I'd give you a kiss, but that sounds really bad. So chocolate kiss here, folks. Um, what does gender refer to? Yeah. Yeah, that's what we've always been taught, Dustin. Um, we've always been taught that gender is biological. There's male and there's female, right? What does the world tell us today, though? What has the world been telling us about gender? It's, that's a great word. Who said that? Yeah, Amy. Fluid. It's fluid. Now, that's important because it means more than there's more than two genders. When you say that gender is fluid, it's like water running down a hill, right? It can change. It's just, it doesn't have a, a form. It's just, the form changes and it adapts. And that's exactly what the world is now saying about gender is that it's no longer biological, it's no longer defined by two sexes, male and female. In fact, you'll probably get a kick out of this. Uh, I have to to dance around this one very lightly, simply because I don't want to sound like I'm mocking or ridiculing, even though that's what I'm doing. Um, Facebook, you might have heard, has, over the years, increased the number of genders that are available when you register and you create your profile. Okay, in the last count, it was up to around 71 different genders that Facebook identified. It used to have to be that you chose male and female, then it was male, female, and other, and then it became these other things, right? In the last, last check, which was probably over a year ago, it was 71 different ones. How many of you are familiar with Tumblr, another social media platform? Tumblr has actually become the repository for gender identity, sexual orientation identity, as well as pronouns that are used within that community. Tumblr, actually, has, there's a, a single website you can go to that list, has the master list of gender identities, the master list of sexual orientations, as well as the master list for pronouns that we're now supposed to use when we address some of these folks. Now, the master list for gender identity with Tumblr has 114 Genders now identified. About six months ago, that was actually up to 112, so they've added two. I haven't figured out which two yet. But I'm going to actually, and this is where I have to be careful, folks. And I'm going to do this for a reason. Um, It's becoming ridiculous, is the best way for me to describe it. It is absolutely becoming ridiculous what the world has tried to now sell us in terms of gender. But I'm going to read some of these two. I've got to scan because, or just pan here. this is one of my favorite ones. Vapogender. You know what a vapogender is? No kidding. A gender that sort of feels like smoke. Can be seen on a shallow level, but once you go deeper, it disappears and you are left with no gender and only wisps of what you thought it was. <laughs> Trigender is the feeling of having three simultaneous or fluctuating genders. Which three? Exactly. <laughs> Trugender is a gender that stretches over the whole spectrum of genders. All 114. Yeah, okay. Now, this one I get a kick out of, too. Surgender, S-U-R, gender, is having a gender that is 100% gender, but then having another gender added on top of that. So you're 125% gender. 100% male, 25% some other gender. You failed at math. Yeah, you failed at math. (laughs) 
How about this one? A, a proxver, a masculine gender similar to a boy but on a separate plane and off to itself. Does anybody understand this stuff? No. Now, I'm going to be real proud and arrogant here. I've got a master's degree and I can't figure this stuff out. It makes no sense, folks. It's like they're they're just... I almost wonder if there's somebody sitting in the background going, we're going to come up with all these really... Gen- None of them exist. But we're going to sell this to the evangelical community and make them look like fools. Because I, I just can't think that this is legit, but this is legit, folks. Meaning, this is what they actually think. You can go to the Tumblr website and you can look at them. It is, it is comical to read through the list of genders that we're supposed to be able to identify. So the world says that gender is not biological. It's basically whatever you self-identify with. And it can change. In fact, you look through some of these genders on Tumblr and they basically say, look, there, you know, one gender can be that you think you're this one day, but then the next day you think you're something else. And then you sort of change every time it's identified. In fact, one of the genders is, as soon as your gender is identified, it changes. So what gender are you? I don't know. It changes every time I identify it. You know? That's the way the world is thinking. Okay? They've abandoned what I'm going to call a scientific approach to gender, a biologic approach. They said, no, it's whatever you want. It's whatever you think. Whatever you self-identify as. So that's gender. But you know what? To make things a little more complicated, folks, now they separate sexual orientation from gender as well. Now, see, from a biblical perspective, you have two sexes, male and female. That identifies who you are biologically. It's supposed to identify who you identify as. I'm a male. But it also is supposed to identify your sexual orientation, who you're attracted to. But see, they've taken and broken that out now, too. In fact, on the Tumblr website... There's actually 71 different sexual orientations. 71 separate sexual identifications. Meaning who you're actually attracted to. Let me go ahead and do the same thing here. Um, scan down through the list. You've got to scan and scan because there's too many of them. You've so got to keep flipping. By the number of orientations, by the number of genders. This is where it gets complicated, folks. Think about that because... If you identify, if you're, if, a, if you're a male, but you say, well, I'm actually a female, well, the assumption used to be that if you're a male and you think you want to be or you think you are a female, you're probably attracted to men, okay? which would make you homosexual. But they're saying, well, that's not really the case now, because you can start stacking these, you know, no, 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 I, I'm a man who thinks he's a woman, but I'm attracted to people who don't have a sex, or I'm attracted to men who... It's just, it gets, it's almost impossible. I won't read through them here, but just because, again, I'm trying to walk that fine line between... I could have a lot of fun this morning by mocking this kind of thinking, but i got to be careful, okay? I want to remain dignified here. Um, now, add on top of that, pronouns, okay? It's no longer fair, according to this, to the world, to refer to people as their biological sex, in fact, Tumblr, like I said, actually identifies pronouns. I don't even count these up, but the list of, of pronouns now, um, you can't really see the phone too much, but I can scan down through it. Look at the list of those pronouns. You see the little tiny writing? I'm going to read some of these to you. What about ze, her, hers, herself? H-I-R, not H-E-R. Okay. What about ze, ze, zan, 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 self? Another one. Z, zim, zer, zerself. In other words, not... He, himself, his, 
but we've got to do things like they, their, theirs, their self. Thon, thons, thonsor, thonself. Okay? In other words, you can be transgender or cisgender or non-binary, whatever gender you want to call yourself, but now you can also choose your pronoun that you want to be referred to as. And here's what's crazy about this, folks. This is what the world says. It's offensive for me, if you walk in the room and I look at you and biologically you're a male, it's offensive for me to look at you and say, he just walked in the door. Because he wants to refer to as they. Or maybe he wants to be referred to in the plural, them. And it's offensive now for me to use the wrong pronoun. And somehow, the world says, I'm supposed to know his preferred pronoun and use it when addressing him. In fact, there was a teacher not too long ago, I'm thinking it was elementary school or it might have been middle school, made the mistake, he was teaching a bunch of girls, and when, when it was time for the girls to get up and to move back to their chairs or whatnot, he said, okay, girls, and one young woman in that group identified as, I think, a male. I'm not really sure. She was transgendered. Immediately, she sort of made that known, and so he apologized right away. He said, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't know. But the, church, the school disciplined him because he used the wrong pronoun. And in his defense, he said, but I didn't know, and I apologized immediately. But that wasn't enough because it's considered a form of bullying. That's where this stuff is going. That's what the world says. The world says it's not biological. You can be whatever gender you want. You can identify any way you want. You can use whatever term you want. And you can use whatever pronoun you want to refer to yourself. And the rest, rest of the world is supposed to recognize that, know that, and use that, or they're bigoted, they're bullying, they're mean-spirited. You know, it's not like if somebody walked in and I noticed or I saw that they were um, from an Indian heritage, I could go, well, they're, they're obviously Indian. Or a Caucasian. Or um, somebody African-American. You can see those things. And so if I deliberately refer to somebody that I can actually see, or if a man walks in and I refer to him as a woman because I can actually see that, I can see why that might be seen as offensive, mean-spirited. But when I have no clue, and because of that I'm somehow seen as bigoted or whatnot, that's where the world is going. That's the kind of stuff that we face. Okay? What does the world say then when it comes to sexuality itself in terms of behavior? The world says that you can be attracted to whoever you want to be attracted to. Does it not? Male, female, both. It's all normal and it's supposed to be celebrated. That's what the world says. In fact, there's quite a, you know, there's some, there's, there's quite a bit of shows on television now that have all mixed in gay characters and all that. I had a, I've got a show that I, I've always enjoyed watching. It's always been fairly clean, but they've introduced two homosexual characters now to it. Okay? And they're doing it in a way that you can tell there's intent and motive to celebrate it behind it because it doesn't even fit the storyline of the shows. It sort of gets stuck in you go, that's kind of weird. It has nothing to do with the story tonight. But they do it because they're trying to promote something and celebrate something. The world also claims that sexual activity outside of marriage is okay. In fact, they go a little bit further. They say it's even healthy and often necessary for decent relationships. There are marriage counselors that if you are a struggling um, single couple, meaning man and a woman dating, uh, but you're not married and you're struggling in your relationship, there are marriage counselors that will encourage you to engage in sexual activity because that's the problem with you're not getting along because there's not enough sex in your relationship. That's the way the world actually thinks. 
Another thing that the world, and this was, again, I saw this on a, on a show a couple nights ago, and another one that I've always thought has been fairly innocent, where a, a woman had a hookup, meaning a meaningless relationship with somebody, just a one-night stand, um, for those of you that know what that means. And they went to great lengths because she was feeling tremendously guilty about it. But they went to great lengths to assuage those concerns of hers and say, no, 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 this was a great thing. This is a wonderful thing. And they began to praise it over and over and over. That's the way the world thinks. That's what we're up against. Um, Kimberly and I had had this conversation not too long ago about, about dating. And I said, you know, what's interesting about um, some of the statistics, they claim now that almost 80% of high school kids, by the time they graduate, will have had sexual activity. 80%. And that's considered normal, natural, and in fact... Many parents now are saying, hey, it's fine as long as it's with a committed relationship, as long as it's with their boyfriend or their girlfriend or their committed non-gender, binary, cisgender, whatever. That's what we're up against. That's what the world says. So our job is to understand the Bible. What's the truth? Let's move on to knowing the truth. And this is where I'm going to switch it up just a, just a little bit. We're going to talk about gender identity first. Okay, then we're going to come back to marriage because I think we need to start with the gender stuff. So flip through your book a little bit. It's actually, there's three main points to today. We're going to look at marriage. We're going to look at gender. We're going to look at sexual orientation, but, um, or sexuality, I'm sorry. Um, but let's look at um, gender. The Bible tells us that God actually created two genders. It's pretty clear. Okay? We have a number of evidences for this. We'll get into some scripture as well. But the first evidence I want to mention is just genetics. Okay? Does anybody know... How many chromosomes are like, what's the, how do we determine male and female biologically? Anybody know? It's the chromosome at the end. Yeah, and so male chromosomes, what are they? Um, okay, we, got, we got X and Ys, right? How do we know if, it, if, if we're looking at a microscope, we can see the chromosomes, how do we know it's a male? The male's is tiny then. Okay, but is it X or Y or XY? Is it Z, W, P? What is it? Somebody else know? It's XY. It's, yeah, it's XY. That's how we identify a male, right? Female, XX chromosomes. Okay, and what is it, 26 chromosome, is that right? I don't remember my biology. But I mean, I think it's on the 26 pair or something like that. I don't remember all the, all the details. But biologically, when you think about, if, if we took everybody in this room, okay, we took a sample of your chromosomes, we look at them, we're only going to see either XX or XY. And the scientist that's looking at that is going to be able to separate those into one group and another group. We call those male and female because that's exactly what God did. What other kind of evidence do we have of there being really only two sexes? How about physical characteristics? Okay. Um, look at me. Am I a male or a female? Please be nice. <laughs> Please be nice. What, what gives you the indication that I'm a male? Certain physical characteristics, right? What about female? Okay, There are certain physical characteristics where we can visually see. And that's every culture in the world, no matter where you go. If I walk into the middle of the jungles of Africa and see a people group that has been sequestered from the world for as far back as we know, and they've never had any communication with the outside world, if I walk into that community, do you think I can figure out which are the males and which are the females? Most, more than likely, I probably could. So there are physical characteristics. There's also sex organs, right? And, and we don't, obviously we don't see that. We're all clothed. But there are certain 
male and female have different reproductive organs, what they can and cannot do. You know what? As much as science would probably love this and as much as the, the particular communities would, all, would, would love this, has a man ever had a baby? Why not? I mean, I shouldn't say it that. I should say men have kids, but it's through their wives, right? Yes. Has a biological man ever been able to carry in his womb <laughs> for nine months and give birth to a baby? No. There are these characteristics that we look at nature, we see them. So we have these arguments. We have the genetics. We have the physical characteristics. We have nature. Okay? There are only two sexes. There's male and there's female. We call them genders. Now, I've got to cover this just to be fair. How many of you guys know the phrase hermaphrodite, or there's another longer phrase, hermaphroditis, I believe is what it's called? You know what that word is? It means where you have some animals in the animal kingdoms that have both male and female organs. They're somewhat asexual, okay? And there are some fish that can change from one sex to another. That's the animal kingdom. But overwhelmingly, what do we see in the animal kingdom? That's the exception, is it not? In other words, the majority of animals are created male and female. That's what we see. But there are some rare exceptions where God created animals with the ability to change their sex based on environment, or in some cases, to be both male and female. My understanding is some worms, maybe Kimberly or Katie or some of the other kids might know this, I think some worms are that way where they basically, the way they mate, they just flip, because they have both male and female organs. Okay, But that's, that's only in the animal kingdom, and that's unusual. Okay, Now, that applies to some degree when it comes to humanity, only because there are birth defects. A hermaphrodite is an individual who's been born with deformed sex organs, which means they may have underdeveloped sex organs. What's really interesting about the human body is that in the very earliest stages of human development... They're almost identical, uh, the biology is. And the same um, beginnings to male reproductive organs and female reproductive organs are, the, reproductive or- are exactly the same. And because of that, sometimes they don't develop properly. In other words, um, God starts almost with the same mold, if you will, and then with genetics, with DNA, determines does it become male or female. That's how the body works. God programs the DNA. But the, it's almost like, think about, you know, when you look down and you look at a pot, and you've, or you've got a big lump of clay, right? That's a very, but once you begin to form that, what happens? You turn it into a cup, you turn it into a bowl. Well, very early on, what God does is he, he starts with the same material, but at that same moment, provides the DNA that says it'll be, this will become a male, this will become a female. But we live in a fallen world, and what happens in a fallen world? Sometimes people are born with, without an arm. Sometimes people are born with, you know, deformities. And that happens even biologically when it comes to sexual things. And so sometimes um, a child is born where they're not really sure when they first look whether it's male or female because the organs aren't developed properly. But again, and the reason I bring this up is that's not the norm. That we, we, that's clearly a deformity, and, and we can look at genetics and science. Um, it is very, very rare biologically for somebody to at the chromosome level, to have difficulty identifying if it's male or female. Because generally, in most cases of hermaphrodites, generally they know, oh, it's a male or a female purely based on chromosomes, even though the sexual organs maybe didn't develop properly or may not appear at all. But very, very rarely, scientifically, at the chromosome level, 
do they see a deformity where it's not quite sure, is this male or female? Okay? But again, that's the rarity. And we can't use that then to define and say that's normal, can we? Because it's clearly a defect of some kind biologically. It is a part of the fall. So, God actually created two genders by design. And we see that almost everywhere as you look at nature. Almost everywhere. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to see this. Somebody want to volunteer to read Genesis 1, verse 26 through 28 for me? Anybody want to throw a hand up for me? Yeah, Eddie. Go ahead and read Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Yeah, and so God basically created man in his own image and specifically mentions he creates them male and female. God mentions two genders here. How about Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6? Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. Somebody else want to read that one for me? Can I get another volunteer? It's like pulling teeth. Nobody wants to talk. But you know what's funny? Because after the service, all the kids talk and it gets really, really loud in here. Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. Somebody want to read that for me? Even an adult. Or you can. Go ahead. Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That is a packed verse. It does a number of things for us. It tells us why we have marriage, why God created a male and female, that God created a male and female. But what Jesus said is God created mankind in two groups, if you will, male and female. That's it. He didn't say he created him Zer and Zeh and Than. He said he created a male and female. He and she. That's what the Bible says. Now, I'm going to take it a little bit, a little step further here. Because the Bible actually condemns transgenderism. The Bible actually condemns a man who wants to be a woman and a woman who wants to be a man. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. I'll read it for you. Twenty-two, verse 5. A woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord God. Now what's he saying there? I don't remember. Uh, shortly after I had moved here, it was, it was 1996. I met somebody here in town um, and mentioned that uh, she had been in Campus Crusade for Christ when she was in college, which I was involved. That's how I got saved. And she said, you won't believe this, but I have a picture of you I've got to show you. Okay, I just met this person. And um, 
she said, I looked familiar. And she said, I've, I've got this picture of you. And I think about a week later, we were back together at a, at a singles ministry type thing. And she pulled out this picture and it was me wearing a dress on stage. <laughs> because when I was in college, I used to do a lot of stand-up type stuff and um, would do emceeing for large talent shows. I would, I would put this talent show together every year where we got all the Christian groups on campus together, which would be about a thousand kids. We'd have this big talent show. And I was emceeing a talent show one time with a friend of mine, a female friend of mine. And we had, you know, we would come out for each set that we would do with different costumes on. And one of them, I was wearing parachute pants, kind of that, if you guys remember that craze and stuff, you know. But anyway, then we had this whole routine we would do. Well, one of them was that we, that they mixed up our one of our costumes on one of the sets to where my stuff ended up in her room and she came out wearing the tux and I came out wearing her dress. So I was on the stage wearing a dress in front of thousands of kids, you know. Um, it's not what this is addressing here, okay? Clearly I wasn't doing that because I prefer to look like a woman. What's being addressed here is men wanting to be women and women wanting to be men. And what God told the Israelites was, that's an abomination. And the reason is God said, I created you male and female. Act like it. That's who you are. And so this is actually a condemnation of transgenderism. Now, the way that the transgender community will treat this is, well, that was just a cultural thing. No, it's not a cultural thing. God created male and female. That's what it is. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. One of the things about the Corinthian culture, and we, we dealt with this when we, address, when we studied through the book of 1 Corinthians, the Greek culture was a highly over-sexualized, over-sexually charged culture. Um, there were five different kinds of marriage in the Greek culture, um, only one of which even represented our culture, meaning our, our standard type of marriage, one man, one woman together. Um, they had four other kinds of marriage that were just varying to, to some degrees um, off of what we have. Um, but in addition to that, it was um, a lot of homosexuality. The Romans were known for that, were proud for that. Most of the Roman rulers um, were pedophiles. Um, it was very, very common. Okay? Um, fair amount of cross-dressing, um, men looking like women, um, a very sexual, very overly charged or overly sexually charged culture. And so Paul actually addresses that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you look at verses 14 through 16, or 14 through 15, we'll start with verse 13. He says, Does, um, Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? What he was getting at here was, the only, only types of women that would uncover their heads, would, would not wear head coverings I'm out in public, were prostitutes. Um, and they would do that to uncover their, their, their heads so men could see their faces and whatnot. This is definitely a cultural thing here in that respect. In our culture, women don't have their heads covered. Okay, It's not, not an issue. But in Paul's day, um, culturally, the only ones that covered their hair, I mean, that didn't cover their hair, were the prostitutes. Well, some women in the church began to just uncover their, hair, their head and made them look like prostitutes. And so Paul was saying it's inappropriate you know, because culturally you're communicating something here. So he's trying to deal with that issue here. So he says, um, verse 14 then, does not even nature itself teach that if a man has long hair, it is to dishonor, it is, a, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. Now, it's a little obscure passage here, but Paul's point in this passage is this. 
Um, God has designed us naturally to look like men and to look like women. And when we violate that, when a man deliberately tries to look like a woman, it's a dishonor to him. And in Paul's culture, women's hair generally was very long. He's not commanding here that all women have long hair. Because he even says, we don't have any other practices or customs. So he identifies this as a custom thing. Within that culture, women had long hair. Men did not have long hair. They might have had Jesus' hair, meaning down to the shoulders, but not long flowing hair. And that's the way the, the, the words that are used for the hair here refer to a long flowing type of hair. And so Paul basically says, if a guy does that, if a guy wears that, if a guy begins to dress like or look like a woman, that's a dishonor to him because it goes against nature even. And Paul's argument is that just nature tells you that. A guy is supposed to look like a guy. A girl is supposed to look like a girl. Now, it has a lot to do with the way we dress. I mean, certainly some women have more masculine features. Some men have more feminine features. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the deliberate desire to make oneself look like the opposite sex. And he says it's a dishonor to him to do that. And so what the Bible does clearly when it comes to gender identity and whatnot is to say there's two genders. There's male and female. It's biologic. It's nature. It's the way God designed it. He only created two. And it's an abomination to throw that out the window and to say it doesn't matter. It doesn't exist. I can be whatever I choose to be and I can dress whatever way I want to dress. And the bottom line is the reason why that's so offensive to God is because he created us in his image. That's why in the animal kingdom, doesn't offend God to have an asexual creature or an animal that can change its sex if needed. Because they're not made in the image of God. We are. And so it's offensive to him when we totally throw that out. Let's move on to marriage. That's the first point in your outline. Marriage also was created by God. It was not created by man. But that also means that God governs it, does it not? If God created it, he can set the rules, can he not? Go back to Genesis chapter 2. I'm just going to read this to you. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, or verses 18 through 25. Now this is on the same day that God actually created Adam and Eve. When he created male and female, he also creates marriage on that exact same day. Now, this is one of the problems that we have with um, those within the Christian community that want to want to say that the earth was not created in six days, that want to take an old view of earth. Um, they lose their ability to support marriage as a God-defined institution because if man sort of evolved and became from this beast to this you know, upright type creature that ultimately became Adam and Eve. When and where was marriage created by God? Or was it, was it established? They lose their authority to be able to do that. Because we believe that the Genesis account here is literal six-day creation. We see that when God created Adam and Eve on day six, he also did something else. He created marriage. He created that institution that they're supposed to live within. So if you look at this, verses 18 and following, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. That's Adam. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and all the birds of the sky and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed it up, closed up the flesh of that place. The Lord God said, or the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man just for a little clarification, that he didn't actually take a rib, the word rib there side. He took something from his side. Okay? I think uh, men don't have one less rib, do they? 
You always hear that. People say, man, I have one less rib. That's proven in the Bible. Well, he took part of him, just something from his side. We call it a rib here. And he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So what we basically find here is that God created marriage on the same exact day that he created Adam and Eve. And we can see now the reason he did that. You go back to Genesis chapter 1, it says that he created him for a purpose, to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to rule over it, ruling in God's stead. So he creates one as male, one as female, with all the right parts, all the right stuff that puts them together and allows them to come together and to become one flesh to reproduce and do exactly what God designed for them to do. And the institution he created to do that was marriage. And you can see the details here. We start off with God saying it's not good for Adam to be alone. Why wasn't it good for Adam to be alone? Well, it wasn't good for Adam to be alone because he couldn't do what God commanded us to do, could he? Adam couldn't reproduce on his own. God could not have said, well, Adam and Steve, it would have ended right there. None of us would be here. Because in Genesis 1, it says that he created them to be fruitful and to multiply. So he had to create them in a way that would make that possible. So he created Adam and Eve. So it's not good for Adam to be alone because he can't fulfill his purpose. And so God does what? Takes something from Adam, turns that into woman, who becomes his helper, somebody who would come alongside him. That's a word that's used of God as well. It simply means somebody who comes alongside to help with the task that's been given to them to do. So he does that. So God created marriage to be the institution through which man and woman walk together and accomplish God's purpose for mankind. That's why marriage is created. It wasn't created by man just because, hey, two people got a little lonely. You know, the ape-like creatures happened to be walking along the earth and went, I'm a little lonely. And so I think we'll come up with this thing called marriage and we'll come together now and now we won't be lonely anymore. That's not how it happened. God actually created marriage as an institution to satisfy the needs that mankind had to accomplish his purpose, to multiply, to fill the earth, and to subdue it. And you notice that there's a supernatural element to that. Who did it? God. God did it. As a part of that, we have this concept called one flesh, where God takes two individuals, male and female, makes them one. It says in, in fact, Jesus actually repeated it, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now what's interesting is this phrase, one flesh, is not just about sex. It's a supernatural, spiritual thing that takes place that unifies and brings together two individual people. It's not just about sex. Okay? So what happens in marriage is God takes two individuals, puts them together, and then supernaturally does this spiritual thing where he makes them into one flesh. Which means that when one guy and one guy thinks, we'll get married, are they married? What's the missing part of that? God has said that's an abomination. So is he a part of that? Does God join them together as one flesh? No, because he joins here, it says, male and female as one flesh. And so we can't just simply say that it's about love, it's about two people falling in love and not wanting to be lonely. It's not about that. It's about God taking two people, bringing them together, making them one flesh so that they can accomplish the purpose that he put them here for, which is to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to rule over it, to subdue it. That's why God created marriage. 
And because of that, it's restricted to one man and one woman because that's the only way that can happen. Now, some people will, say, will argue, well, yeah, but two guys, if they have a family, they can raise kids. Yeah, but it took a male and a female to make those kids. It's the only way it works. So it's restricted to one man and one woman. Now, people have argued, too, about, well, but wait a minute, one man and one woman, okay, we'll give you the whole male-female thing, but what about polygamy? You know, within the, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that Islam is the world's lar- or the world's lar- fastest-growing religion right now and will be, within the next 20 to 30 years, probably the largest religion in the world. And they believe in polygamy, do they not? Men with multiple wives. In fact, it's fairly common around the world. The Bible condemns that as well because it's Adam and Eve, man and woman, in a family relationship. And they'll argue, well, but the Bible has all these examples. The Bible promotes polygamy. Well, it actually doesn't. What the Bible does is it overlooks polygamy because of the sin of man. In other words, God chose not to punish it outright and immediately because they were succumbing to their culture. But if you look at every example of polygamy in the Bible, there's problems. Abraham, remember Abraham? Sarah and Rebecca, what happened? They were always fighting, didn't get along. What about Jacob? You know, had Rachel and Leah as his wives. Conflict there constantly. We've got David. Um, King David had multiple wives. He ended up with one of his sons murdering another. Because of that, the children from those moms all fought. Um, Solomon... Solomon had hundreds of wives, and what happened to Solomon? The last thing we learn about Solomon in the Bible is said that he had forsaken God. He had forsaken God because his wives led him to worship the Canaanite gods. He had hundreds of them. Um, It's funny because kings, the ones that were tasked with upholding the law, were prohibited from taking multiple wives. Deuteronomy 17.17, when God established the law, told the kings, you will not have multiple wives because it is going to lead to some pretty dark places. And we see that in Israel's history with their kings doing that. So the Bible clearly condemns um, marriage between more than one man and one woman, condemns marriage between two men and two women. God established the laws and the rules. And it's because it has a purpose. Marriage is not something we do because we simply fall in love. It's not just something we do because we're lonely. It's because we understand that God has a purpose in marriage. And that purpose ultimately is to produce offspring. That doesn't mean that every couple can do that, because biologically sometimes, because we live in a fallen world, that makes it difficult. That doesn't mean that that's not valid. But generally speaking, the natural rule of thumb is God says, I created a male and female so that they can fulfill the purpose I created them for, which is to be fruitful and multiply. Let's go, let's go um, to the last one, which is sexual attraction. Let's deal with that. Okay, these are all interwoven. This will be a fairly short one for us here. Sexual attraction and behavior is something that's also governed by God. So we have gender stuff, we have marriage, but then within all this is a whole idea of what about those who are attracted to the same sex and whatnot. Um, you notice what Adam said when God brought Eve to him in Genesis? I'm going to read this to you. It says, The Lord God fashioned into a woman a rib, or the rib, which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. He immediately recognized the uniqueness and the difference with Eve. How she was different than himself, but created specifically to match him. He was immediately drawn to her because she was female. 
Because of the way that God had created her, he saw God's purpose in that. He saw the uniqueness and the distinction, the fact that she'd been created. That's the way God designed us. We are supposed to be attracted to the opposite sex. Now, because we live in a fallen world, sometimes a guy's attracted to a guy and a girl's attracted to a girl. But that's not the way God designed us. It's a result of the fall. And people will say, but I was born that way. You might have been born that way. But you know what? A person who's born without an arm, it's a result of the fall or other biological things. And so I don't have a problem when people say you can be born gay. I don't have a problem with that. It doesn't make it right. Does it? It's not that God made him be gay. God made him be whatever. Um, it's a part of the fallen world. We're supposed to be attracted to those of the opposite sex. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1 with me. Romans chapter 1. When the world is left to do simply what it does, this is what the Bible says. Romans chapter 1, we already looked at this a number of weeks ago, a couple of months ago. Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and following. Because mankind has chosen to suppress the truth of God and unrighteousness, and in this case, we might say that they have chosen to suppress the truth about sexual relationships, sexual identity, marriage, attraction. Because of that, because they've chosen to suppress that information, it says, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, and in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Now there are many, even some within Christian circles, that say the Bible never condemns homosexuality. I'm not sure what I just read then. Because that clearly condemns sexual I'll call it same-sex relationships. I'll just mention a couple other passages here, but Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, and Romans chapter 1 here that we just read condemn homosexuality. Men with men. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'll read that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. Turn back to it here. Chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, those are who have sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkard, goes on. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because God says that's not right. It's not normal behavior. It's something that he condemns. Just for the sake of time, you've got in your notes there, the last thing we'll touch on with that is that sexual activity outside of marriage is also something that offends God. So it's not just that homosexual behavior offends God, but any sex outside of marriage offends him because he designed us to, to, to only engage in that kind of, activity, kind of activity within the bounds of a one-man, one-woman relationship. You can look at the verses there. I don't know that I have to spend much time on those. God designed marriage to be between a man and a woman, and designed sex to be a part of that, and to only be a part of that, not something that's engaged in outside of that. But the, what does the world tell us today? The world says sexual activity is just normal, it's good, it's healthy for you. It would be one thing to say, well, we know what's wrong, but we're going to do it anyway. It's another thing to say, no, 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 it's healthy, you should do it. To the point now where even schools will hand out condoms and 
other things to kids, which simply encourages them. Um, some of the stuff recently, when you look at some of the national foundations that are trying to promote um, transgenderism and other things in high schools, um, are promoting sexual activity within their material and believe that the schools should hide that from the parents. All because it's healthy, normal experimentation with teens and, and others. In fact, it gets to the point where some of the stuff is taught in elementary school. Okay, The world's got a whole different agenda. So, that's the truth, folks. Um, what do we do with it? How do we respond to it? I'm going to make a couple of observations. I'll let you work through the, the statements, that the little responses that we have in there. But I want to make a couple of things pretty clear here. Remember that your goal is not to prove or to convince anybody of anything. I know that may sound a little weird, but it isn't an argument. We're not trying to debate with the world and change the world's minds on this stuff because they don't have the mind of Christ. They're not going to accept it. The only way to change their hearts and minds is to change their relationship with the Lord. So our goal is not to win the debate and argue and debate with them as much as it is to do what? Simply defend what we believe. To state what we believe. When we face these things, it's okay for us to say we believe. Kimberly, I was really proud of her. Um, I mentioned that there's a young young man on her swim team who calls himself Aurora. He's transgendered. Um, he came right out and told Kimberly that. And her response to him was, well, I don't agree with that. It um, led to some, some good discussion, you know. Um, she was able to defend her faith. Well, I, I don't agree with that. And, he, and, you know, this is the way I feel. Um, but she did it in a way that was gracious and kind, you know. And so that's really what, what it's about here is defending our faith, defending what we believe. And the thing we have to really keep in mind, the thing we have to really remember about this, folks, is that the world believes these things because of where they're at spiritually. And we've got to remember that as Christians. Sometimes we just expect the unsaved world around us to accept the things that we believe. But they can't. They're blinded. They're deceived. They don't know the truth. They do exactly what Paul says in Romans 1, which is they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so we have to keep that in mind. We need to defend our faith, speak openly and graciously, but also recognize that their most important need is Jesus Christ. I think about Kimberly here, and you know she's got to walk this fine line because if she refers to Aurora with the wrong pronoun, maybe, maybe he'll get in trouble, you know? But she needs to really be careful in that she's going to have to be gracious and kind because the ultimate goal, and I've reminded her of this, he needs Jesus. And you can't expect him to change until he knows Jesus. And so that's why we do this. That's why we defend our faith. We want people. So we make the argument about Jesus. So when it comes to answering, and you'll see that in some of the questions and answers I put in your book there, I do encourage you to read through that and to talk about these things and do the role playing. You'll notice that those are all designed to tell them, you know, this is what the Bible says. It's not just me, and I'm not the one who's judging you. This is God's standards. It's about the gospel. These people need to know Jesus Christ. That's why we defend our faith. We tell them about the hope that's within us.